I personally never thought that I would see our country come to the place that it is right now. Let's just be honest, all right? It is just getting uh, more and more crazy by the day, not by the year any longer. But you know, why should any of us be surprised? In 1860, the Supreme Court ruled eight to zero that if a public high school didn't teach the Bible, they would not get government funding. 100 years later, we removed the word of God from schools, we removed prayer from schools, from our government institutions, and now we're looking at three generations later, 60 years later, come on, we expect people to make good decisions? I mean, we're alienated from the life of God. Our understanding is darkened. We've been turned over to a reprobate mind as a nation. That is why we have got to continue to pray for this nation. And that is why I really feel compelled to bring this message to you, what I'm gonna share with you today. Because how do you as a believer navigate these times? How do you navigate when you got leaders that are making decisions that aren't biblically based, that really have no moral compass? Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? So with, for our answers on how to respond in a time like this, I feel we need to go to the word of God. I'm writing actually a book right now on the fear of the Lord. 25 years ago, I wrote a book called The Fear of the Lord. Never in my life have I felt like our nation and, our, and the people of God need this message more. And God has shown so much more. So as I'm writing it, I'm realizing how crucial it is to know and to walk in the fear of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. I look at Solomon. Solomon is probably one of the wisest human beings to ever walk this earth. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. If you really study out what that man did, I mean, he was raised, reared in the fear of the Lord. He was taught it by his mother and his father. And he began to rule in the fear of the Lord. And oh my goodness, was he successful. Kings, nobles, ambassadors, queens would come from far distant lands to see how he ran his nation. If you look at the word of God and you study it carefully, you will find out there was no poverty in his nation. The Bible says every, every family had a house and a garden. I mean, that's crazy when you think about it, right? But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he walked in such great wisdom, but he didn't treasure it. I want you to write this down. Isaiah 33 verse six says that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Stop and think about that. It's God's treasure. Isaiah 11 verse three says that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Solomon's raised in it, but it's not his treasure. He walks away from it. Even though he wrote on it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't his treasure. And then we get what I like to call this gift. And you know what the gift is? It's called a book of Ecclesiastes. It is the book that shows what happens to a person who has the fear of God and loses it. They become a cynic. They become jaded. Everything in life is vain. What goes around comes around. The day that you die is better than the day you're born. Come on, who writes that? I mean, whatever's lost cannot be regained. He goes on and on and on. And God gives us a, a picture into the soul of a human being who walks away from the holy fear of God. And then God gives us a glimpse that this man came back to reality because after all this crazy book and who, who knows how long he spent writing it, 
But he comes to the very last verse of this book and he says, this is the conclusion of all of life. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. You know, I will never forget when a powerful presence of God came into Malaysia. I had been preaching 10 services and it was the largest Bible school. Pastors and believers had come from all over the nation and we were in Kuala Lumpur and the last service, the Spirit of God came into that service in such a beautiful, joyful way. You know, just, just the joy of the Lord. It was the most amazing thing. Basically, I'd called all the women up that were called to full-time ministry that had never acknowledged it publicly. And they're all standing up there like four or five deep. And, the, and then this, this holy joy came in. Daddy came into the atmosphere. And they were laughing hysterically. It was amazing, okay? And I'm just sitting there watching it. But then all of a sudden, the whole atmosphere changed and this awesome presence of God came in. And I'll never forget this. I was sitting on the platform enjoying watching these women get blessed, but then I got up and I started pacing back and forth because I realized there was a different presence that came in. Daddy didn't come in this time, it was the king. And I'll never forget these women just went into a, a, a manifestation to where they were being literally baptized in the fire of God. There was such a presence in the room that I kept walking back and forth on the platform going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember my head was going, I can't handle this. And my heart was going, God, don't lift. That's when I first find out there was a difference between my head and my heart. And I kept saying, God, don't lift, don't lift, don't lift, please don't lift. But my head was going, God, I can't handle this, I can't handle this. It was awesome. It was mighty. Do you know what the thought that was going through my head was? Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. What? Yes, that's what was going through my head. Would that have happened? I don't know, but there was a man and woman who were members of the church in Jerusalem who brought up an offering and they made a wrong move in that atmosphere and they were dead. Let me tell you something. It was an awesome presence. But yet it was drawing me. I wasn't, re I wasn't afraid of it. Yeah, I kind of was, but yet I was drawn to it. Does that make sense? It was so wonderfully awesome. And I remember I'm walking out of that auditorium at the end of that service, and this Indian couple, they were, they were from the nation of India, and they were Bible school students, and they said, we feel so clean inside. I said, that's exactly, that's exactly what I have, I feel so clean. And I remember the next morning, I'm getting ready to go play basketball with these guys from Malaysia, right? I'm in the hotel room and I'm in prayer and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and said, read Psalm 19 and I go over to Psalm 19. And I start reading Psalm 19. I have no idea why I'm going over there, but I just start reading it, you know? And I get down to the ninth verse and you know what the ninth verse said? The fear of the Lord is clean. I went, whoa! And then you know what the next word said? Enduring forever. Amen. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the Holy Spirit said, son, stop. He said, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He was anointed. He did not fear me. He did not endure forever. He said, a third of the angels surrounded my throne. They beheld my glory. They did not fear me. They did not endure in heaven forever. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my glory. They did not fear me. 
they did not endure in the garden forever. Then he said this to me, every created being that surrounds my throne throughout eternity will have been tested in the fear of the Lord. This is why Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11.3, look it up. It was his delight. When somebody fears God, they're not scared of him, they're terrified of being away from him. When someone fears God, they walk in a true humility. When someone fears God, they don't say, how close can I get to the line of, this, of sin and not fall in? They say, I want so far away from that line, I can't even see it. They don't say, how close can I get to the world and not be swallowed up? They say, I want so far away from that, I can't even see it. They, they take God's heart. They love what he loves and they hate what he hates. They don't dislike what he hates. They hate what he hates. There is a difference. I know religion and, 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 and uh, legal, I should say legalism has really put a, a bad spin on the fear of the Lord for some people. You know, you've heard people make comments like, well, I fear God, that's why I hate those sinners. No, you don't fear God at all because you hate what he loves. Jesus died for them and God loves them. So if you tell me you hate them, you are hating what God loves. He doesn't hate sinners. He hates the sin that undoes them. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen right now. A person who fears God has his heart. A person who fears God knows God. Because why? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God intimately. The Bible says friendship is reserved for those who fear God. God is not everybody's friend. He's only friend to those who fear him. Moses feared God. He was his friend and God shared his secrets. Abraham was God's friend. God says, I will share with you before I decide what I'm gonna do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's a righteous man. He has no fear of God. He has no clue to what's about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. The person that fears God knows him intimately. Therefore, he recognizes or she recognizes authority. Did you hear what I just said? Why do they recognize authority? I'll show you why. Look at Romans 13 verses 1 and 2. Let every soul, is every soul include you? Does every soul include you? I can say it includes me. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now watch this, for there is no authority except from God. Now, a lot of people don't like that statement. A lot of people avoid reading that statement. But you know, I made a decision. I was brought up in a denomination that taught us that there were 656 contradictions in the Bible, that the Red Sea was a marsh when Moses crossed it, crossed it, and you can't prove that Jesus was historically raised from the dead. So when I got saved and I found out that 75% of my denomination's teaching came from man and 25% from the Bible, I made up my mind. I said, God, I'm gonna believe whatever I read in your word, whether I understand it or not. And now wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't realize how smart that was as a 20-year-old because that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord doesn't say, I'll believe if I understand. The fear of the Lord says, I believe whether I understand it or not. 
You know, I remember one of my sons, it's so funny. I asked him to do something. He said, you know, dad, I need the understanding of why you want me to do that. He said, I'm a millennial. Millennials, we need understanding. I said, all right, son. There's a prophet in 1 Kings. God tells this prophet, don't eat anything on your journey. I want you to go and prophesy to the king of Israel. And when you're done prophesying, don't take anything from him, no gifts, no food, and then I want you to come back on a different path. The prophet goes and prophesies to the king. The king offers him a gift. He goes, no way. He comes back. An old prophet lies to him and says, no, you can't eat. He eats, and the guy is killed by a lion because he ate before he got back home. The day you give me the understanding of why God told that prophet to go one way and come back another way is the day I will tell you why I'm asking you to do this. He still to this day has not been able to tell me, and neither can I. I made up my mind. I said, God, I'm gonna believe your word whether I understand it or not. That's why I love this house so much. This house has been built on that. That's why this house endures. That's why this house continues to touch the world. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. I need some amens. I was raised in a quiet house and I need some talking, okay? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God. Now I'm gonna tell you when this became really, <laughs> well, no, no, let, me, let me answer my own question first. There's a lot of people that don't like this statement. You wanna know why they don't like this statement? Let's just expose it. Because they've had mean, cruel, dishonest authorities or they've had crazy authorities. Now let me make this statement. The Bible says all authority is of God. The Bible does not say all authority is godly. The authorities of God, the behavior may not be. Matter of fact, there are ungodly leaders all throughout this Bible. Peter makes a statement. I'm gonna come right back to this, but I wanna show you what Peter says. Peter makes a statement. Look at this, 1 Peter 2, 17, he says, look at this. He said, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, now look at this, honor the king. You know what he's saying right there? How can you say you fear God who you don't see when you can't, listen, when you can't respect the person he's placed his authority on that you do see? Now, what a lot of people don't understand is the king that Peter's writing about here, historically, is Herod Agrippa I. Who was Herod Agrippa I? He was the king of Judea who was murdering Christians in cold blood for one reason, to further his political agenda. How can you honor a king that's murdering Christians? Now, let me tell you who wrote this. Peter wrote this. Do you know who Peter's two best friends were? James and John. Do you know this king cut off James' head with a sword just to make the Jews happy? And yet Peter writes after this and says, honor him. Why does Peter write that? Because he fears God. Because let's go back to Romans. There is no authority except from God. Now watch this. And the authorities that exist are appointed, not elected. 
They're appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist bring judgment on themselves. Now look at the statement. I don't have it highlighted. Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Let me make a statement here. God and his authority are inseparable. If you meet God, if you really meet God, you meet authority. Show me a person who says, I'm a Christian and attends church, who has no respect for authority, and I'll show you a person who's really not saved. Well, how can you say that? Because Jesus said, I'd know them by their fruit. Tell me you're Christian all you want. You tell me you prayed the sinner's prayer all you want. You have no respect for authority. You don't know who God is. If you know God, you know authority because God and his authority are inseparable. All authority that exists according to this is, listen, is, is from God. This is why Peter writes, now, now let's address this. How in the world are you supposed to honor a king like this? It's not easy, but this is what you gotta do. You gotta see beyond the person's behavior and honor his position. See, in America, we say to leadership, you have to earn my respect. The fear of God doesn't say that. The fear of God doesn't judge by the seeing of the eye or hearing of the ear. It judges, excuse me, the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear, it judges according to righteous judgment. The fear of God doesn't say to a leader, you have to first earn my respect. The fear of God says to a leader, I see the authority of God, of God that is on you, therefore you already have my respect because I honor your position, not your behavior. Now, who are the people that knew God the most intimate in the Bible? They were the people that recognized authority. You know, I'll never forget when God really, really taught me about this. It was back in the days of President Bill Clinton. When he was elected as President of the United States, I was depressed for three days. And then the third day, God spoke to me and said, nobody gets into office without me knowing about it. And I'll never forget, I went, oh my, my, that's true. So, you know what I decided to do? I started praying for him. And you know what happened? I developed this deep honor for him and love for him because I was praying for him. Now, I'm traveling all over the United States at the time, and there are Christians and leaders that are telling me about this new guy that's on TV who wears a wild tie that's exposing all the liberals' agenda. And everybody, I mean, pastors are telling me, believers are telling me, you gotta watch this guy. And so I keep hearing about it for like seven, eight months. And finally, I'm in a conference in California. I come out of the conference. I go back to my hotel room. I get out, I get out of my outfit, put on my sweatsuit, flip on the TV. I'm going to the news channel, looking for headline news. And there's this guy talking with a wild tie on. And I started listening for a few minutes. I thought, this is the guy. Oh, I'm so excited. So I remember just, you know, getting on my bed, kicking my feet up and... This guy was hilarious. And I am laughing out loud in my hotel room. I am like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And he's just like bashing the president of the United States, right? But the whole time I'm laughing, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. And it's this gnawing is getting worse. And I'm finally, I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Like 20 minutes into this program, something's really wrong. So I muted him 
And I said, God, what's wrong? And I heard this so clearly in my spirit. Don't speak against the ruler of your people. Acts 23, verse five. I went, oh my goodness. That's it. Paul the apostle spoke those words. He quoted those words. And the Holy Spirit put in my heart, do a study in the New Testament of what I tell you to do. What is to be your behavior with authorities? And I started going through the New Testament and I saw that God said to pray for them, to make intercession for them, to give thanks for them, and to not speak against them. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That's what God tells me to do. Now I wasn't mad at the man on TV. I just saw him as a good old boy that needed to be saved. I was upset at all the leaders, especially that were telling me to watch him. Because two wrongs never make a right. Yes, what may be being done in Washington is not right. In, 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 you know, as far as what we think would be a wise decision. But my error, my sin of speaking against my president or entertaining people who speak against my president is not, it's not righteousness. It's Sin. I repented. And it made me want to pray for him even more. Because I didn't have a natural liking for him. I didn't vote for him in either election. But he was my president. And I realized nobody gets into office without knowing it. And I look at the way, quote, Christians have behaved with what has happened in the last year and a half. And I'm, I'm like, we have lost our compass of the word of God when it comes to how we respond to authority. Why are you so quiet right now? Are you just listening? Is that what it is? Okay, I, I just wanna make sure you're listening. his direct authority and he has his delegated authority. God has delegated four. How many, how many of you know, let me just ask you, how many of you know that God's delegated four different areas of delegated authority over our life? How many of you know that? Let me see your hands. Wow. Seriously, ser put your hand up high. Wow. Am I glad I'm sharing this this morning? Okay. Let, let, let's take a step back. Let, let me just say this. This will help you understand. I've preached the gospel all over the world. And I've found that the United States is one of the hardest countries in the world to preach the gospel in. And there's a reason. It's very fundamental. We are a people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It is actually a kingdom. And a kingdom, it was a real king, not, not a figurehead king like the lady in England. He's actually a real king. That means there's rank, order, and authority. So if you try to relate with God with your democratic mindset, you and he are going to be on two different playing fields. You're not even going to connect. This is part of getting our mind renewed when we get saved. 
We didn't come into a democracy. We came into a kingdom. So, God has his inherent authority and he has his delegated authority. There are four areas of a delegated authority the Bible speaks about. And the Bible is not, it's not like you just find one verse about it. You'll find several verses about four, all four of these areas. Number one, our civil authorities. That's our president, vice president, right down to the policeman on the street. <laughs> do, you know that, do you know that the civil authority, Romans goes on to say, God calls them their, his servants? Go read it. Romans chapter 13, verse four and five. God says they're my servants. I'll never forget, I was in the gym in Colorado Springs years ago, and there's this guy and girl working out next to me, and they're pretty strong. She looked like she could break me in two. And uh, I, I started talking to him, and, and I found out he's a policeman, she's a policewoman in Colorado Springs. I said, man, the respect I have for you two is enormous because the Bible says you're God's servants. The policeman goes, dude, what? What did you just say? I said, the Bible says you're God's servants. He said, are you kidding me? It's in the Bible? I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. You're God's servant. He said, I'm tattooing that right on my back, right? So, so two weeks later, he's in the gym. He pulls up his T-shirt. There it is, Romans 13, tattooed right on his back. Man, he got it. He got it. I hope he's saved, but he got it, okay? <laughs> Family authorities, husband's the head of the home, wife's submit to the husband, children obey their parents. So clear. It's not just once or twice. It's actually, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Do you know that God put the list of the Ten Commandments in the order of importance? Does anybody know that? Oh yeah. Jesus said the number one command is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second is to love your neighbor yourself. On these two hang all the commandments. But the first commandment, the first is love. The, if you look at the first four commandments, it's our relationship with God. Last six commandments, our relationship with our fellow man. Now, if you look at murder, it's pretty serious. It's number six on the list. If you look at adultery, whoo, that's bad. That's number seven on the list. If you look at stealing, that's really bad. That's number eight on the list. You know what God puts above all three of those? Dishonoring your mom and dad. It's number five. Could it be that God sees dishonoring your parents as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, and adultery? Now, I'm not justifying murder, stealing, or adultery. Bible says you practice that, practice those, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God, and you'll do jail time on a couple of them. But I believe that dishonoring your mom and dad is a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. But the problem is we have a society that trains us how to dishonor our parents. I mean, there were movies, you see all four of those boys, they've worked with us in our ministry for nine years at least. There were certain movies when they were young that I forbid them to watch. I forbid them. They were rated G, G-rated movies put out by the company in Orlando and LA, okay? And I said, I forbid you to watch these movies. Wanna know why? Because on the movies, the kids talk so dishonorably to their parents and then they got the reward they were after at the end of the movie. Like the dog, the monkey, the car. And I said, no, 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 you're not watching. I'd rather you watch movies with, with, with righteous killing on it because that's all over the Bible. But you're not watching these movies. 
gonna prove to you. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna prove, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm gonna prove to you. Reuben is the firstborn of Jacob. Simeon and Levi are two or three, okay? Reuben dishonors his father by sleeping with his concubine. Okay? He loses his birthright. Simeon and Levi murder men in cold blood in a city called Shechem. Nothing happens to their birth order. Why? Because I believe God sees dishonoring your mom and dad as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, and adultery. See, here's the problem. We expect our society to train us in what's important to God and what's not important to God. I'm looking at movies. Those movies should have been rated X. And the righteous killing ones maybe are. But we say, society, teach me. We don't want you to pray in school. Okay. Oh, what is Daniel gonna do? See, here's the deal. The Bible tells us to obey authority unconditionally unless authority tells us to sin. That's the only time we're not to obey authority. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to worship the idol. They didn't. That is a sin. But when they were brought before the king, they didn't look at him and say, you jerk. You're a dog, you know it? We worship in your idol. No, they looked at him and said, your majesty, we will not do what you said because it is sin. it's a sin. So they kept their honor, they kept their submission to him, but they didn't obey his one command to sin. I don't like wearing masks on an airplane. Okay, it's not my choice. It wouldn't be my choice. I'm gonna go on the airplane, I'm gonna wear a mask. But you know what? Right now, authority says to do it, so I do it. But then authority told us not to meet. But the thing is, the Christians were getting torn from limb to limb in the arena. They were getting crucified by Nero, and they were still meeting. They finally stopped meeting, and the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What is the first century church going to, whoa, 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 whoa. What is the first century church going to say to the 21st century church in judgment? We met when we were torn from limb to limb. We met when we were crucified. We met when we were burned at the stake at a lewd party for Nero. And you guys stopped meeting because of a supposed pandemic? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this right now. I just wonder what would happen if the church acted like Daniel in 1960 before we gave it a foothold and said, no, you will not tell us not to pray. We are commanded to pray for our leaders. We are commanded to pray for the salvation of souls. And we will do it on these school grounds. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what things would be like today. So yes, the same man is telling you to submit to authorities. The same man is telling you, when authority tells me to sin, I'm not doing it. Pharaoh said, uh-uh. Or Pharaoh said, midwives kill those, those babies, those Jewish babies, Hebrew babies. They're not going to obey that command to sin. They spared the, the babies. And God said because he, they spared them, he blessed them. 
You see the difference? It's so easy if you really stop and think about it. Social authorities is your, your, your bosses, your teachers, your coaches, etc. Church authority. Church authority is a real authority. I want you to look at this. And I'm gonna have to close with this. Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. We say obey and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. Here's the church authority. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Who's it unprofitable for? The leader? Come on, talk to me. Is 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 Does he say if you don't obey and you're not submitted, it's unprofitable for your leader? Is that what he says? No, he says it's unprofitable for you. You know what I've learned? The devil is a master at convincing people that what they think will bring them into liberty actually brings them into bondage. In other words, the devil will say to you, there is freedom in rebellion and there is bondage in submission. That is exactly opposite of what the word of God shows us. That's exactly opposite of what I've experienced personally in 60 years. I have found that submission brings freedom and rebellion brings bondage. The number one commandment of the satanic Bible is to do what you will. That legally gives entrance to demonic powers into your life. Just the opposite of what Jesus said. I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And by the way, do you see Jesus getting involved in politics? But we as citizens have been given a privilege that we can have voice in proper due order into our nation. So we should do our duty. What our forefathers that were godly gave us the permission to do. But I'm not going to lose my salvation over who's in office. I'm not going to lose my character over who I think should have been put in office. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. I hope they clap for you, Sharon, next week. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm trying to get you to breathe. Sometimes I feel like I'm a fire hydrant. And I realize that sometimes I just need to get you to... I know you're listening. I know you're really intently listening. I know that. I love you all. You know that. I love this house. But I am just... I am just... Preaching to myself as much as you. To be really honest with you. I was very delighted when God told me to preach on this. Because I said, God, I need to hear it. Because even though I may not be complaining about our leaders, and I did pray for President Biden and Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris this morning, I gotta learn to do it with joy. (laughs) (laughs) Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. How many of you know, put that back up for me. How many of you know you can be obey, you can obey but not necessarily be submitted? There was a time in my life where I was obeying everything my authority was telling me to do, but I had a terrible attitude. And I went six months without being fed. It was my pastor. I worked for him. I was his executive assistant. He was one of the greatest preachers in the United States. And I kept saying to Lisa, I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. I thought God is having us you know, move out of this church and we're gonna go into our own ministry. Oh man, I was so stupid. One day I'm in prayer. God spoke to me and said, the problem's not with your pastor. The problem's with you. I said, what? He said, what does Isaiah 118 and 19 say? And I quoted it. 
you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good lamb. He said, stop, you keep saying you're not being fed and you're not being fed. I said, okay, I am obedient. I do everything my pastor tells me to do. God said, I didn't say if you're obedient, you'd eat the good lamb. I said, if you're willing and obedient. He said, obedience deals with your actions, John. Willingness deals with your attitude. And he said, your attitude stinks. That's what God said to me. He said, your attitude stinks. I repented. The very next service I walked in, I cried the whole service. You wanna know why I cried? Because heaven opened up and I got so much out of that message. And I sat there in my seat and I thought, I thought the whole problem was him. And he was doing things I saw up close that I didn't agree with. And the Lord said to me, did I put him in that office or you in that office? I said, you put him in the office. He said, so I'll tell him to do things that you may not agree on and I'll, I'll, I'll keep it from you on purpose to see if you'll follow him. Boy, did he get me. Here's the thing. I sat in the chair for six months convinced the problem was with him. And you know what? The church doesn't even exist anymore. He got up one day and said, I'm divorcing my wife. There's the door if you don't like it. My wife's not submitted to me. Vashti wasn't submitted to Cyrus. So he married Esther. I'm doing the same with my wife. Church went from one of the largest churches in the United States down to 400 people with a matter of a year and a half. Maybe I, maybe, maybe I saw some things that were right. Maybe I did. But I'm not his judge. Did God put David under Saul? I remember this pastor said to me, if I knew you worked for that man, I wouldn't have invited you to this church. I said, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna judge David because he worked for Saul? You're gonna judge Samuel because he worked for Eli? And the pastor went, I guess you're right. God is the one that put David under Saul, a crazy leader. None of you been running from spears and armies trying to kill you from President uh, what's his name? President Biden. Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I'm trying to remember. Okay. That's not happened with any of you. See, what I'm trying to ta- tell you right now is anybody can go with the crowd. We can watch the proper news networks, all the, 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 the YouTube videos, and all the, we can read all the blogs and go, yeah, they're jerks. Yeah. We're on, a, we're on a crusade here to get our nation free. That's not the way you get your nation free. That's not the way you get free. You, you'll do nothing but go into bondage. And then you won't have this intimate relationship with Jesus and you'll wonder why. Because you have no fear of God. Because you don't honor the king. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for what you've given to us. And I'm so grateful to you, Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, I'm asking, draw men and women to the heart of Jesus. If you're in here this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and I want you to be honest. You say, wow, John, I have not been submitted to the delegated authority. Whether it's our civil leaders, whether it's our home, whether it's 
our bosses at work, our teachers, our coaches, whether it's our church leaders. You say, I realize I'm the one that's wrong. That same realization that I had thinking that my pastor was wrong for six months, but in reality, I was the one that was off. I was out of obedience to the word of God. If that's you this morning and you're willing to repent, then I want you to raise your hand right now and I want you to stand to your feet. It's more than half of you right now have your hands raised. And I, I respect, I respect your genuineness. Keep your heads bowed, those of you that are seated, because some of you right now, just because I had these others stand up doesn't mean that I'm not asking you anymore to examine yourself. I am, because I want you to walk out of here free. I want you to walk out of here as a force that will bring this nation back to righteousness. Is there anyone else? Just stand to your feet. Is there anyone in here this morning you say, I just came to church because I'm, I'm desperate. I need a relationship with my creator and I know it. You know, coming to church doesn't give you a right relationship with your creator. Saying a formula prayer doesn't give you a right relationship. There's only one way to have a relationship with your creator. And that is to give your heart, your life, and all of you to Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the groom, we're called the bride. When a bride walks down an aisle of a church to get married, She's actually saying goodbye to 3.9 billion guys. She's saying, this is the one and only man I've given my entire life to. Jesus left what none of us can imagine yet. He came to this earth. He was despised. He was rejected. He was beat. He was spit on in his face. His beard plucked out. Crown of thorns shoved into his skull. 39 lashes of lead-tip whips slicing the flesh in his back like a knife through hot butter. Nails pounded into his hands and feet, and he never did a thing wrong. He did it to die in your place. He gave himself 100% to you. He's not coming back for a bride that has a bunch of lovers that she jumps in bed with, a bunch of lovers that compete for his attention. If you're in here this morning, you say, wow, I've never given Jesus my life the way a bride gives her life to her groom. I want to give you that chance. I want you to raise your hand up, whether you're standing or whether you're sitting. Raise your hand up. And if your hand's up and you're sitting, go ahead and stand up quickly because I want to pray for both of you, group, both the groups right now. Just stand up. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for standing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anyone else says, I'm, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus fully. All right. I'm so proud of all of you. And if you could see just an image of Jesus right now. You'd see the biggest smile on his face. You got to remember, he's for you. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He's for you. He died for you before you ever even knew him. How happy he is that you, who he died for, is responding to his love right now. 
I want you all to pray this out loud. If you're sitting, I want you to pray with the people that are standing. I want you to pray. I want your ears here and your mouth pray. Say this with me. God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. Oh, I'm so sorry for living life my way. Apart from you, my creator, I repent of that today. And today I give my spirit, soul, and body everything I am, everything I have to you, Jesus. Jesus, you are now the Lord, the King of my life. I'm all yours. And I'm asking you specifically this morning to forgive me for not having a submitted heart to your delegated authority. I repent of this. I repent of rebellion, disobedience, and not having a submitted heart and attitude. Thank you for cleansing me. I purpose in my heart to be submitted and to obey the authorities you've placed in my life. I do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise. Amen.